I hope as you open your Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19, that you are as excited about the information coming out of this book as I am. If you're not, I hope to change your mind about that as we go back over some of this stuff again today. Jesus' death and resurrected resurrection changed everything. And all the symbolism of the animal sacrifice system and of the Mosaic legal code, uh, all of the ceremonies that went on first in the tabernacle and then in the temple, all of these things pointed forward to what Jesus was going to do to fix our sin problem. Every last one of us made the choice to sin. You might want to try to blame that on Adam and Eve, but the truth of the matter is they made their own choice and they paid the penalty for it. And every human being that has mental faculty has gone down that exact same path of going against God at some point of sinning. And once you sin, your relationship with God is broken. You are a sinner and he is holy. Jesus came to fix that permanently and in one moment in time. Once we embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior, once we have symbolized the connection with him through being immersed into his death and his resurrection, once we've been born again, once we've been crucified with Christ and we acknowledge that it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us, the life that we're now living, we live for the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. Once we've embraced that new covenant, we have a new relationship and we are a new creation. And we now have a totally different approach to life. Uh, we do not think of ourselves as sinners anymore. We shouldn't. We should think of ourselves as saints, as the redeemed. We should not think of ourselves as worthless little worms that are under his judgment. And I know we've got some songs that we sing, and I think some of those songs are more like flashbacks than they are a representation of what we really should be thinking about ourselves. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse number 19, I think is one of those key passages that we really need to grab a hold of and live to the fullest. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, it's siblings, if you will, since we have confidence, this, this freedom to claim the truth, right? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that is, into the presence of God Almighty. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So it's not his flesh is the curtain, but rather the way through that curtain was him taking on flesh and dying in our place. 
His blood opened the door to the heavenly throne room. And on the day of Jesus' death, when he cried out, it is finished or it's paid in full, and then he died, the symbol curtain, which was massive, it was like more than 30 feet tall, and it was pretty thick, and it was about 30 feet wide, it ripped from top to bottom and opened up that doorway between the holy place where the priests worked day by day into the Holy of Holies, which in the day of Jesus' death had nothing inside of it. The Ark of the Covenant had long disappeared, long ago been taken into heaven. Um, But that symbol was the place is now open where you can come into the presence of God. Your sin has been dealt with. The barrier can be removed. And so, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so there's a whole bunch of things that are being stacked together here. Uh, Since Jesus died in our place, since the opening of the heavenly realm has now been ripped open by Jesus' death and resurrection, since Jesus himself is the high priest over this house of God, and we're not talking about the temple, we're talking about the church, we're talking about the people who make up the household of God, then these things ought to be happening. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So let's come near to God Almighty. Let's come in to the throne room of God with these clean hearts, with these genuine hearts of connection because we know because of our faith we're saved the full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience remember the sprinkling ceremonies of the jewish people were symbols of the idea that blood death the death of an innocent substitute has to take place for sin to be removed So our hearts, which made the choices to sin, we of our own free will chose to sin, and our hearts became unclean. Well, now, through embracing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've had our hearts sprinkled clean in the ultimate ceremony of cleanliness. So we shouldn't even have an evil conscience anymore. We should not be thinking always about our old sinful self. That self is dead and gone, buried and gone. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. There is zero doubt in my mind that he has in mind here the ceremony of immersion. It was such a convenient ceremony, and it is prevalent in uh, the story of John the Immerser and in the story of the early church. So uh, it, wa- it was as when we were in Peter not too long ago, Second Peter, uh, it saves us not as the removal of some sort of outward dirt, but rather as the means of requesting a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so all of these things that we're seeing here in this section is all about becoming a Christian, making that choice of being connected to God the Father through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the ceremonies that are involved in that. What else should we let us do? Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Uh, confession is agreeing with someone, uh, saying the same thing as is what it literally means. Uh, confession, often when we think about a criminal, is when they say, yeah, I did the crime. Confession. Um, for us as Christians, we have kind of a two-part confession that we tie ourselves to, and that is, I'm the one that did the crime. I sinned. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And then comes the more significant uh, confession that because of traditions throughout the multiple generations of the church goes something like this as a, um, a repeat of Peter's own confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want him as my Savior, and I want him as my Lord. When we say that sort of thing out loud, that is our confession of our hope, our hope that Jesus is the Savior we needed. And so we need to hold on to that confession. Remember, uh, this, this writing is generated because at least somewhere out there, there must be a few Jewish believers in Jesus that had played with the idea that, you know what, with all this persecution of Christians at Rome going on under Nero, and a lot of them dying and having horrible things done to him, I, I think I'd like to kind of scale back on me talking about Jesus. I'd like to kind of scale back on me connecting myself to the Christians that are being persecuted. And so here in the book of Hebrews, you can't do that. You've got to hold on to that confession that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Jesus himself even gave a warning. He said, those who confess me before men, I will confess his name before my father in heaven, and even before the angels. But the one who denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father and before the angels in heaven. It's all about Jesus, folks. Jesus is the linchpin. He is the pivot point. He is the lever point. He is everything. And so we've got to hold on to our confession of he who is salvation. Because he who did the promises is faithful. Uh, remember that uh, we have this promise in the most famous Bible verse of history. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, or loved the world in this fashion, that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. That's a promise. He who promised that by putting our faith 
in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we'd be saved. He's faithful. He will follow through with what he said. Now, verse 24, verses 24 and 25, um, I want to emphasize for something that I do every Friday, or pretty much every Friday, and that is the need that every individual has for a home congregation. Everybody needs to be plugged in with a group of fellow believers so that they can worship together and fellowship together and study together and pray together and serve together. We've got to be part of a living, breathing church of Jesus Christ. And um, the unfortunate fact is a lot of people think that's not all that needful. They don't think it's important to be part of a group like that. That's organized religion. This section of Hebrews makes it crystal clear that that's bad thinking. Verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. One of the reasons we get together is to challenge each other to do the right things. And that means keeping the great commandment of uh, God the Father and of God the Son and of God the Holy Spirit, that you shall love he who is your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, they will know you are Christians by the love that you have for one another. So we as Christians need to be pushing each other to keep that going, to keep that true love going. But also the good works. We've got to do the works of God. Book of Ephesians uh, tells us that all of us have been created to do good works. That's why we're saved. Saved to do the good works that were created by God for us to do from before the foundation of the world. Uh, I tie it into the um, memory verse from uh, Matthew um, uh, uh, 5.16, I think, is the address. Uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your, what? Good works and give glory to God the Father. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So even here in the first century, there's a problem with, quote, church attendance, end quote, assembly attendance, uh, getting together on a regular basis. Um, The writer says, don't do it. Don't get caught up into this belief that you can make a go of it all by yourself, that you can be a lone wolf Christian. Uh, No man is an island, uh, one poet said, Uh, no Christian is to be alone. We are to be a group working and meeting together on a regular basis. We know from the book of Acts that, uh, that they met on the first day of the week as a habit. That was the Gentile churches. 
the Jewish churches apparently kept meeting on their Sabbath day uh, and then would even have their post-Sabbath meal uh, as the uh, sun goes down and the first day of the week began. But they met. Synagogues are gathering places. Church buildings are gathering places. And we need to gather. Um, I think about a... uh, an English pastor, I can't remember who it was, so forgive me because I can't put the name uh, to the person who did this, but he went calling on an individual that um, had quit coming to church services, felt that he could do things on his own just as easily as he could in a church building, and he actually told the pastor that. And they were sitting in front of a, of a charcoal fire. And so in the awkward silence, I suppose, that comes after the preacher's been told, no, I don't feel I have to come to church. The preacher reaches over and uses the coal tongs to grab out of the center of the fire one of the hottest coals. And he brings it out and he sets it on the hearth all by itself. And then he sits there in silence as he and uh, the householder watch that ember cool off and then eventually die. Then the preacher got up and left. The story goes that that man was back in church the next Lord's Day and remained a firm attender of the divine services. That illustration, I think, is very powerful in explaining why it is so important for everybody to be part of a local congregation. Now, I know there are some of you that are there that can't get out. You are physically incapable of leaving your home right now. And what you need is you need the church to come to you. And I'm not just talking about the church services. We live stream stuff all the time nowadays, don't we? And we have, we used to have uh, uh, DVDs or CDs and then back to cassette tapes and things like that that used to be brought to folks to help them have some connection to the church. But you need the people of the church to come to you as well. So you need to have a church that you are associated with that you can say, please come to me. Come and make me feel like I'm part of the family, okay? And so you need a home church too uh, in that sense. So let me read once more these words before we go to the summary part of this section. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So all of you Christians out there, that's your responsibility toward other Christians. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And if that's your habit, you need to knock it off. In all good Christian love, I'm telling you, repent. Change the way you're thinking about this. Get yourself and your spouse, and your kids, and whoever else you have connection to in your household, 
and you get yourself to church on a regular basis, and I'm not talking about just coming to worship service, you need to do some Sunday school time, some Wednesday nights, some Sunday, whatever it is that will help you be able to stir up one another to love and good deeds and to be stirred up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging. That's what I'm trying to do here. I know it's coming off a little bit on the, um, on the uh, uh, harsh side. I recognize that because I do get frustrated as a preacher when I know of so many people that are staying home now in the post-COVID era because they've convinced themselves that they don't need to come to the building on a regular basis. Yes, you do, because you need to be there to stir up one another to love and good deeds and to be stirred up, to encourage each other. And that takes, that takes some face-to-face time. Encouraging one another and then do that all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there are some people that will go, the day he's talking about here is the Lord's Day every week. No, I don't think so. I think the day he's talking about here is the day of Jesus' return. It's one day closer every day we move through time. And so everything we do as a church, as a body of believers on the local scene, and there's tons of churches, right? Tons of individual congregations. All those units are meeting together on a regular basis with the recognition that what they're doing is having an impact on people who need to be ready when Jesus comes back. So we need to do church. We need to be gathering together because Jesus is coming back. And we want people to be ready for that. Now, he gives a contrast to this. Verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Whoa, that's pretty heavy duty. Now, it's, it's got kind of a Jewish flavor to it, which is not surprising. This is a Jewish book. Uh, there was something in the Old Testament language uh, that, that made a distinction between... Uh, uh, a sin of, of an error, uh, 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 an unintentional sin, as I think how most of our uh, more modern Bibles go with, and the high-handed sin. The high-handed sin was basically, I'm going to do this, and I don't care what you think, God. I'm going to do this because I want to do it, and I don't care what the Bible says on this topic. And so this idea of throwing Jesus under the bus, of abandoning the Messiah who became the atoning sacrifice for sin, that's a high-handed sin. That is, uh, I'm done with Jesus. I'm out of here. It's, um, if you'll forgive a more coarse analogy, it's flipping God off. 
and saying, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do. So the author says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no, there, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Meaning, you can't go back into the Jewish um, sacrificial system because that's gone. That's fini. It was, it was done with, it was retired the day that Jesus died and resurrected, or the days that Jesus died and resurrected, because the new covenant was now on the scene. Um, when this letter is being written in 65, maybe early part of 66, it's only a matter of years, the spring, summer of 70, that all of the sacrificial system will be permanently gone. So those folks that might have toyed with the idea, I don't really need Jesus. I don't need all that persecution that comes with that name. I'm going to go back to my Jewish roots. I'm going to go back to my Jewish sacrifice system. You can't do it. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you don't take Jesus then this is the alternative, verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Uh, John the Immerser warned the people, I'm only immersing you with physical water, but there is coming one after me, a man who existed before me, one who is higher in rank than me, one whom I don't even have the right to untie his sandals and take him away and clean them for him. He is so much higher than me. When he comes, he will immerse you in either the Holy Spirit or he will immerse you in fire. John the Immerser was very clear um, on that symbolism, because right before those things, he was warning people, the axes laid to the root of the trees, and every unproductive tree is going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Uh, and then he talks uh, about the idea that the Messiah is going to be coming, and his, his, his winnowing material, his winnowing tools are in his hands. He's going to completely clean up his harvest floor and he will bring his grain into his storehouse, and then he's going to burn the chaff with fire. So there's no doubt that John the Immerser meant exactly what he said. Jesus comes offering two choices. Salvation through him, or fire of judgment without him. Let's help people make the best choice.